Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. All right, my name is Spence. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy. We are jumping into the very middle of a series we're spending all summer in, um, in the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, we are at number five this morning. It's a big one because now we're talking about how a child relates to his or her parent. And that's what we're spending all morning on. I think we can all pretty much agree that parents play a very powerful role in the lives of their children, right? I mean, they are the single greatest influencer on how we turn out as adults. They're not the only influencer, but certainly the single greatest influencer. I mean, think about this. Even things so fundamental as your language that you speak, what's your first language? Is shaped by and informed by the people who raise you, the things that you value, right? The, the, the assumptions that you have about why the world works the way that it does, even your beliefs about God that you bring in here today have in large part been shaped by the people who raise you, even down to um, the way you react to different situations and circumstances, right? Like your instincts, for how to, how to react to something are shaped in large part by how you saw the people who raised you and how they reacted to different situations, right? I've told you in my weaker moments, I would describe myself, again, in my weaker moments as a glass half empty anxious pessimist, okay? That's me, that, that what I've said is that kind of means that the glass is half empty, there's a hole in the bottom, it's leaking, and the sky's falling, okay? That's me in my, so my weaker moments. Why do I respond to situations like that? Because Don Shelton, in his weaker moments, responded to situations the same way. That is a, a learned reaction, right? Not only that, not only are parents so powerful in that way, y'all, a lot of the emotional baggage, scars, whatever you want to call it, that we carry around with us, we get from our relationship with our parents. There's this guy um, in history, King, King George IV, King James IV. Um, he was the king of Scotland, became the king of Scotland when he was 15 years old. Here's why. His dad, King James III, really unpopular. So a group decides to throw a coup and they tell the fourth, who's 15 at the time, hey, you're gonna become king. He's like, awesome, but please don't hurt my dad. But yeah, I should be because I don't like my dad, but I don't want you to hurt him. They're like, okay, yeah, sure. They go out in the battle. Immediately, first thing they do is they kill his dad right? And then he becomes king. Well, he's so burdened by the guilt of now of what he has done to his dad that every year until he died, you can read up on it, every year until he died, he took this huge metal chain. And from Ash Wednesday until Easter, that Lent season, he would wrap this chain around his body. And each year he would add an extra weight to that chain to remind himself of the burden of guilt that he is carrying around all the time from what his, his relationship with his dad. Right, and y'all listen, I, <laughs> I have been pastoring people long enough to know that maybe it wasn't your sin 
against um, your parents. Maybe it was your parents' sin against you. Maybe one or more of your parents weren't with you as you grew up. And because of that, there was some trust that was broken and you really struggled to trust other people because of that. One thing I know from pastoring these past 15 years is that all of us have a childhood experience. Again, when I say parents, maybe for in your sake, I'm talking about the people who raised you, but they weren't your biological mom and dad, whatever that is. What I know is that a lot of people are walking around with heavy chains on them from the experience they had with their parents. Now, you may look back at me and go, yeah, that's not me, man. I'm a really well-adjusted adult, had great parents, all right? Now, you might be overcompensating for something, but let's assume that you're not, okay? Let's assume you're being honest. That's wonderful. We can celebrate that. And it only further reinforces the point of how powerful parents are and the presence of parents are in the lives of children, that you are the way you are now. Y'all, as we get into the thing that we're gonna look at today, we're gonna talk a lot about the parent-child relationship, but this is not a parenting sermon. This is a childing sermon, all right? How to be a child, not how to be a parent. But I'm telling you, if you get the childing right, it's gonna set you up well for the parenting side of things. So today in the fifth commandment, we're gonna see how God calls children to relate to parents. Man, but then we're gonna see this beautiful promise that God gives in the fifth commandment, one of the only commandments that has such a promise attached to it, that if, if you'll follow and trust God and lean into what God has for you, this beautiful promise of flourishing that God offers you, we're gonna see the way that you find healing if you are carrying around that baggage from the past and a real way forward to walk um, as it relates to really the relationship that forms all the other relationships that we have. So if you will, grab your Bible, go to Exodus 20. We have one verse that we're looking at, Exodus 20, verse 12. That's our big verse for today. Let me give you the, the context of the verse, all right, just to set you up in case you're newer to mercy, you haven't been around, uh, let me tell you about the, the 10 commandments a little bit. Here's the way it's kind of structured. Um, the first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. They're often called the first table of the commandments. That's what we've been looking at, right? Um, it starts with that big um, first commandment, have no other gods but me. It's the foundation of the first table. Everything about our relationship with God in those first four comes from, of course, him being our only source of worship. The second table, the next six commandments are all about our relationship with others. We said last week, you gotta get the first table right. You gotta get your relationship with God right if you wanna have any chance of getting your relationship with others right. Like, it's kinda like playing baseball. Love coaching baseball, love, grew up playing. But listen, until you know how to throw and catch a baseball, you can't really learn how to play any of the other positions on the field, right? Because every position that you play depends on, first and foremost, you having the fundamentals of being able to catch and throw a ball. Once you understand that basic fundamental, then you can begin to understand, all right, what position are you playing on the field? And then how does your position relate to others? But first, you got to have those basic fundamentals. And when it comes to our relationship with God, that is most fundamental. And you cannot understand how to relate to others until you get that relationship with God, right? That is the most influential thing for how you relate to others. And if some of your relationships with others are broken, distorted, messed up, often there's something wrong with your relationship with God. That's why the first four come first. Now listen though, if the foundation of those first four commandments is that first one, have no other gods but me, the foundation for the next six about our relationships with others is the fifth commandment. Our relationship with our parents shapes all other relationships. 
It's where we learn to live with other people. It's where we learn authority structures in the world. It's where we learn respect and obedience. Ideally, it's where we learn about love and protection. Y'all, it's no wonder throughout history, uh, different totalitarian regimes throughout, what they've tried to do is exert control over people. The way they've done it, one of the chief mechanisms is severing one's attachment to the family, right? Make your allegiance to the state. Make that the building block of society rather than honoring parents because the parenting relationship is that formative in our lives and that powerful. So as you look into Exodus 20, 12, we are not just looking into a random commandment. We're looking into something very powerful and profound about the way we have currently approached the world and the way God calls us to approach the world. So here we go. I'm gonna read you the verse. We're gonna dive into it. Honor. You guys ready? Yes. Yes. All right, here we go. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Today, we start with how God calls us to relate to our parents. And he wraps up all of how a child is to relate to a parent in one word. All that, such an intense, so important relationship. And he puts one word on how the child is supposed to relate to the parent, honor. So naturally, the first question is, what does that word mean? Right? Well, honor here, the Hebrew word, you know I'm coming at you with a word study if it's that important, okay? And the Hebrew word here, this is, this is crazy, is the word kavod, okay? Yes, I think we should all practice together. It comes from the back of your mouth, okay? Not just kavod. You got ha, that thing, okay? Like you're getting ready, to, something's about to come out, okay? So everybody together, K-A-V-O-D, all right? Kavod. Yeah. Okay, well, one more time. One, two, three. Kavod. Look at y'all, y'all are on it this morning. Um, it's the Old Testament word. Here's what's, what's fascinating. It means weight, not just like physical weight, but metaphorical like significance, but it also means glory. And it is the word most often used to talk about how we as humans are to approach God. We are to give God glory. We are to give God, you see this word all throughout the Old Testament, chavod, which means weight, significance, honor, and y'all, that right there, catch it, should really help us see the major significance God is placing on how we approach a relationship with our parents. In God's design, now I know it doesn't always go this way because we live in a broken world where things aren't the way they should be, but the parent in God's design was meant to be God's representative, his stand-in in the life of a child. That's important, parents. Again, this isn't a sermon on parenting, but you can't really help it because we're talking about the parent-child relationship. Listen up. And kids, you gotta listen to this because we gotta understand the role the parent was meant to play. Good parenting. And by good parenting, I mean parenting as God intends you to parent. Begins with the radical and humbling recognition that our children don't actually belong to us. Your children, my children, they belong to God. And his plan for parents is that we would be his agents in the lives of these children, the lives of these ones that have been formed into his image and created for his glory and entrusted to us. Uh, Paul David Tripp wrote a wonderful book called Parenting that I would commend to you, uh, fairly newly out. And it highlights the difference between what he calls ownership parenting and ambassador parenting. Ownership parenting emphasizes what we want from our children and what we want for our children. Ambassador parenting focuses on what God in his grace has planned to do in and through our children. So ownership parents tend to get their identity from the success of their kids. 
They put pressure to make certain achievements in these categories like academic performance, tell me if any of these ring to you, athletic achievement, musical ability, social likability. And if the kids achieve, then you've been, a, you've been a good parent. And if they fail, then you've had what we hashtag parent fail, what we call that, right? And this is what causes kids to feel such pressure from their parents and the burden of living up to the reputation and expectations of their parents. But ambassador parents, on the other hand, they face the scary but real truth. We don't really have the power to produce something in our kids on our, our own. Children are not some miniature little trophies of ours living and breathing. They are people created in God's image who belong to God and are put on earth for his glory, not for our glory. Ambassador parents are there to train their children how to kavod God in all of life by standing in for God. In God's design, Children are to learn what giving God honor looks like by first giving that to their parents. Do you get that? Because they can't fully grasp what it means to give that to God. So God has created a living, breathing stand-in in the form of the parents. Kids, do you get that? Parents are God's appointed, designed stand-in. To honor them is to honor God. To dishonor them is to dishonor God. Parents, I hope this means you will grab hold of the weight of your job. By the way, on this front, um, I'm gonna go ahead and let you know about this because, uh, again, this isn't even a parenting sermon and we couldn't cover it all, even if it was, all right? Um, October 18th and 19th, this fall, we're holding um, a parenting conference called Are My Kids on Track? Uh, it's gonna be, we're bringing in um, Dr. Sissy Goff and David Thomas, who authored a book on this very subject. Uh, so I would just say, go ahead, put that on your family calendar. Like right now, we don't have registration open yet, but we'll let you know more about that. But mom and dad, we know you need help. Um, I need help, and that's why we're doing that, okay? Uh, but what does this kavod, what does it look like in practice? Well, as you survey scripture, what you start to see is that honor isn't just one word, one thing. It's a, it's a combination of things. And I wanna use a, a definition of honor that's been handed down since the, the Reformation several, several hundred years ago um, that's continued to be handed down um, through the church. Here's the way we're gonna look at it for our time today. Honor is a mix, a mixture of reverence, obedience, and gratitude. It's a mixture of reverence, obedience, and gratitude. Now, I do feel like I need to pause right here and say something. We as, um, if you are a Westerner like me, we are probably the worst at this because we have been raised in an individualist culture. That means our culture emphasizes and celebrates the individual and downplays the power and significance of the group, whether that's extended family or, or whatever else. So if you come from an Eastern culture or background and you're here where there's a strong family or group culture that understands shame and honor, my guess is this is gonna make a little bit more sense to you, all right? Which, by the way, is the beauty of us seeking to grow into becoming a more culturally diverse church because we get to experience the blessings of brothers and sisters that God has given grace to in all different areas of life like this one. Main thing I wanna say, we're not trying to see what honor looks like Americanly. You catch that? We're trying to see what it looks like biblically. And if you've been seeped in uh, American individualism, this might be specifically challenging for you to pull off your blinders to be able to see what God is saying through the lenses of scripture. We're gonna go for that. And then we apply biblical honor to our present day and age. All right, with that said, let's look closely. First, this word revere, reverence. 
Here's how I'm gonna say it. We revere our parents, not because of the type of people they are, but because of the office they hold in our lives. That makes sense? There's a certain amount of, of reverence children are to give their parents. And when I say reverence, again, you think of like a holy respect simply because they're your parents. Not because of their character, but because of the role they have in your life. And God is saying, listen, revering them is going to instruct and form our minds in such a way that we'll be able to have a beginner's orientation to what it looks like to revere God and to give chavod to God. That's why we do it. In fact, God made such a point throughout the Old Testament about this reverence. He says in the very next chapter, Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father or his mother must be put to death. And I'm giving you the shortened version. You can read all about what he says there. Y'all, is, is your relationship with your parents one of reverence? I'm telling you, out of the three aspects of this whole honor thing, this one might be the hardest for us Westerners. We just don't revere a whole lot of anything. And God calls us into this. And one other thing on this, this really deepens my appreciation for how unexpected the prodigal son's story is that Jesus tells to describe our relationship to God. Um, if, if you're new to the Bible or new to mercy, uh, this is a favorite story of mine. I actually taught on it on Easter in full, but short version, you got a young son who says to his father, give me my inheritance while his father's still alive. It's his way of saying, dad, I, I wish you were dead. He's cursing his father by doing this. The foolish son goes off, son goes off and squanders his money in foolish living. The son then returns home knowing that he should be put to death for his actions. Because Leviticus is gonna say, when you have a son or a daughter who is like that, who is disobedient and rebellious, who's a drunkard or a fool, which this son was, according to the way Jesus tells the story, you're to take him to the middle of the square and the elders of the town are to stone him, all right? That's what's supposed to happen according to the Old Testament law. The son knows this. He returns because he thinks my dad's pretty well off. He's got a pretty big farm. He hires people all the time. Maybe I can be hired, be hired to be, you know, kind of pay off my debt. As a, as a son, but I'll never be able to be a son again, but at least I can pay off the debt that I incurred and all the shame. But instead of judgment, Jesus, when he's telling the story, he says, the father runs out, runs out, lifts up his tunic, which is certainly not becoming of a, of a, of, of a father like that, who's a patriarch, runs out, grabs the son, hugs him, kisses him. Whoa, see how intense that story is? I'm giving you 3D sound effects, guys. And he kisses him, he restores him, throws a celebration. And Jesus' listeners, first century, Eastern world, heavy family culture, shame, honor culture, has to think this is crazy. This is even scandalous. The son has brought shame upon his family. His father shouldn't just welcome him back. And Christ says, that's probably how you think about God. You're not worthy of God, so you gotta do good work to pay off the shame that you brought on him. And Christ says, you'll never be able to pay that off. And the shocking offensive news is that Christ went into the middle of town square because your sin does deserve death according to the law. And Christ came to fulfill the law. So Christ says he goes to the middle of town square and he takes your punishment. He dies so that the father can come to you and reconcile you back to himself and call you son or daughter again. It's the beautiful news of the gospel. There is no other God like this who says, before you clean yourself up, just come and I'll grab hold of you and make you mine. I will do the restorative work in you. You don't have to pay it off. 
reverence. The second thing, we obey our parents because submitting to them is a training. It's, it's training for a lifetime of flourishing as we submit to God. Right? We obey our parents because submitting to them is training for a lifetime of flourishing as we submit to God. We submit to them when we're a part of their household. Even after we leave, we try to honor their wishes where we can, knowing that obeying our parents is training for the rest of our lives where we're called to obey God. Remember the promise? I'm going to pull this um, scripture back up, Exodus 20, 12. There's a promise that came at the end of our commandment. The only commandment with this kind of promise. Look, honor your father and mother so that. You, you get to so that. He's telling you what's going to come as a result. You may have a long life in the land the Lord your God has given you. Now, long life isn't necessarily years. It's speaking more about quality of those years. And that's because there's peaceful, joyful life that will come from one who has learned primarily through their relationship with mom and dad, how to submit to God's design for us in the world. Listen, if you spend your life submitting and following God's design, there'll be peace for you. If you spend your years fighting God, fighting his authority that he claims over your life, your life will be filled with angst, anxiety, frustration, pain. And listen, I know some of y'all have that story. Uh, for those that came to faith later in life, it's a very common thing to hear. Listen, I know that this is my story. This is what God has done in me, so I'm not going to wish it away, but I certainly wouldn't wish the pain that I experienced from my years running from God on anybody else. Come to God, come to Christ as soon as you can because he's created us that when we obey him, we flourish in the land that he's given us. And scripture, y'all, scripture talks about I was fascinated in my study this week about how severe scripture talks about disobedient children. Like I wanna read you the list that God puts disobedient children in, okay? I'm reading to you from Romans 1, 28 through 30, all right? And this is like the passage that's often the go-to of what happens when you just continue to reject God and God gives you over to the passions of your flesh, okay? I want you, and this is, this is where this drops in. He says, Paul, the apostle Paul says, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they did not do what is, excuse me, so that they do what is not right. They, listen to, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. He keeps going. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. That is not the who's who that you want to be on. Right? And you might even think, doesn't that seem a little much to throw that in there with, with all of that? Why is this such a big deal? Because disobeying your parents trains you to disobey God. Now, yes, we're going to talk in just a second about what you do when parents may ask you to do something that conflicts with God's commands, okay? But first, you got to understand what God's doing. He's showing you the beauty of the gospel, See, the Bible calls disobeying God sin. The punishment is severe. And yet God says in Romans 6, the wages of your sin is death. It's the town square. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly. 
And although we deserve death for our disobedience, he paid the price for it, giving us freedom from the penalty and restoring us back to God. Do you see the theme that we're getting at with honoring father and mother? He also gives us his spirit. This is so good. Gives us his Holy Spirit to us. So when we place our faith in Christ, God says he makes us a new creation and he comes to dwell with us and he trains us to begin to like what he likes. So our desires start to line up with his desires and we start to enjoy obedience to him. Y'all, the Christian life is not a burden. It's not the chain that drags you down. The spirit of God actually begins to change you from the inside out and you begin to love what God loves, which is what causes you to flourish here and now in the present day. You are a son or daughter again and you can delight, delight in the good commands God has given you for here and now. Here's the last thing. We show gratitude to our parents because it trains us to be thankful for God's work in our lives. We show gratitude to our parents because it's training as well to be thankful for God's work in our lives. Y'all, most parents love being parents, but it's hard work. (laughs) It's just straight up hard work, showing appreciation, gratitude for what they've done in our lives. Every time you say thank you, even that little thing, every time it's teaching something to you. Every time we do it, what's happening is we're moving just a little bit from being selfish to being selfless. See, gratitude, by its very nature, it moves us from being the center of our own universe. It causes us to look elsewhere. That's not a small thing. If you never have anything, if it's rare that you have something to be thankful about, it means right now your life is very focused on you. And that type of living, it'll it'll kind of corrode you from the inside out and eventually you'll implode. It's one of those things that we see in everyday life, right? I mean... Parents love to say this, you know, if, if your kids are being ungrateful about whatever it is, maybe it's about their vegetables, right? And you love to give the response, there are children in Kyrgyzstan who haven't eaten in three days, so you will eat your vegetables and you will say, thank you, right, you will say, thank you. But listen to me, before we just label ungratefulness as a young child's problem, let me ask you something, when you pray, How much of your prayer time is thanking God for what he has done versus asking him for stuff or complaining about the things he's already given you? I'm not saying you don't ask, but I'm saying look at the Psalms. They're filled with thankfulness for what God has done. That's why we major on the gospel while you hear me going back to it over and over, even in this sermon, because it's the good news about what he's done. He's created you to know him. He's been patient like a father when you rejected him. He sent his son to pay for your sin. He's offered you the chance to come home now and forever. He's given you trustworthy instruction to live in the here and now. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? How can you train yourself to be thankful to God? It starts with being thankful for your parents and practicing that to your parents. So maybe it's, y'all listen, real talk, homework, for, for a lot of people in, in this, this room this weekend, go write a letter to your parents, thanking them for all the ways that they sacrificed for you. Serious, some of you need to do this. Now, don't text it, don't email, they're old. They need paper, okay? <laughs> that, and there's the, you can Google this word stamp, all right? And when you Google stamp, it'll tell you how to get this thing. It'll stick it on, this thing called an envelope, 
And there are whole stores called post offices that you can use. It'll take it there. It's, it's a wild thing, but you can, you can figure it out. You're smart. Um, listen, here's the thing. As you do that, what's going to happen? The whole time you're writing that, you're thinking about someone other than yourself. And maybe more and more, you'll think of yourself less and less. It's what Tim Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's not thinking um, less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And then God... In doing that, that's practice for God becoming the center of your universe as he should be. And then you'll be the kind of person, the other's first person that God has created you to be. That's honor. It's a mix of reverence, obedience, gratitude. And God has set it up so that as we honor, as we give kavod to our parents, it'll train us to honor him with our lives, which is what we're created for all to begin with. Now, that commandment defined... Let me answer a couple of common questions that, that I get to this, okay? Because this command, I even feel it. Listen, this command is so personal that the minute I start talking about your relationship to your parents, defenses may have gone up. My prayer all week has been for you to just be able to hear this thing, all right? Because everybody's got a, a personal reaction to the idea of parents or whoever it was that, that raised you. But here's the, the two common questions I get. The first one is, what if my parents aren't Christians? Listen, Christianity is a religion that involves each individual deciding for themselves to follow Jesus. And because of that, there's always been families where some believe and some don't. In fact, Jesus promised that um, right at the beginning. He said it'd be that way. Here's what I'll tell you. Nothing about this commandment is conditional on the faith of your parents. You can honor them even if your faith is foreign to them. Revere them, obey them, show them gratitude. I'm gonna talk in a second again about that whole obedience uh, piece if, if their commands conflict. But first, let me say, when Christ saved you, he makes you now an ambassador, a stand-in for them, his representative. And if your parents aren't Christians, maybe he's placed you there, probably he's placed you there to introduce them to the hope of Christ. So you don't distance yourself from them. You lean in and you love them just as Jesus loved you know, sometimes high school or college students who are the first to become Christians can kind of return home to their family if they're away on a retreat or even just, even if it's just at church one weekend and can return home thinking, well, now they know everything, right? They know everything that their parents never knew. And yes, maybe you do know something about faith that your parents don't know. But surely we don't want our unbelieving parents to think that becoming a Christian makes you less respectful or less willing to honor someone. Instead, parents ought to say, I don't know what happened to you at college this semester. You're talking about church all the time. You want to read your Bible. It's a little weird. I think you're a little carried away with this whole religion thing. And yet I can't deny that you've changed. You're wonderful to be around. Maybe there is something to this whole God thing that you keep on talking about. You should be praying for your parents. If your parents aren't believers, be praying for them. Seek to honor them. And listen, yes, the Lord has revealed something to you, but do not forget that your parents have been around a little bit longer than you, okay? You have learned something about the Lord that is good, and they have so much still to offer you. Honor them. Here's the second thing. What if my parents' commands conflict with God's commands? Sometimes parents will respond negatively to their children following Jesus. This is real. I've seen this many times, and it's a tough 
spot because what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to be stand-ins for God. And as you obey them, they're teaching you how to obey God. But what happens when things change and they all of a sudden become God's competitors, right? And they're fighting, they're fighting with God. What are you supposed to do with that? How do you engage your parents? The Apostle Paul helps us out, Ephesians 6.1. He's talking to the family, giving the, the family dynamic. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. In the Lord means obedience to parents is practiced inside of God's design for them as ambassadors. When they reject God's design, God's calling on them as ambassadors to you, that's on them. Where their commands conflict with God's commands, you choose to follow God's commands. One way to think of that is that the first table of the law always takes precedence over the second table. This is not an easy thing for me to say. And this should not be an easy thing for you. You should not take this lightly. I got a friend that came to faith in college. Her parents were staunchly atheists. They were angry about it. She'd come home on breaks and they would forbid her from going to any kind of church worship gathering because that's where, in their words, that's where she had been brainwashed. At the end of the day, because God calls us to be an active part of a church family, she felt that to honor God, to give kavod to God, which was her, her first command, it meant she was gonna have to disobey their wishes. And how you do that is a huge deal because you can still show reverence and gratitude even in a moment where you have to choose, have to, choose to follow God's directive. Listen up though, Christian parents, the more common version of this that I get is this. How do I walk with my parents who claim to hold the same faith I do, but seem to live it out with far less commitment than I'm trying to and that I see in the Bible? This gets into gray areas, doesn't it? I mean, one example, does God say you have to go on a short-term mission trip? No, right? He does call the church to take the gospel to all nations, but an individual trip is not a scriptural mandate. So it isn't necessarily a command for you to obey. The problem is y'all, is that my experience, the common experience I have is that Christian parents are the primary obstacles discouraging their children from going to the nations to share the gospel. Parents, that's ownership parenting. It's not ambassador parenting. Now there may be a reason for a certain season that you have to say no, but you gotta find a way to show them how you're gonna say yes to that. In general, here's what I've found. Christian parents have to say yes to God's mission themselves, which will help you say yes to God's mission for your children. But it's bigger than a mission trip. And I'm talking to children, I'm talking about honor. At some point, you're gonna be responsible for making your own decisions. And so your parent at some point will not be responsible for that. But that's different in every culture, in every family. So I can't say, hey, at age 21, that's where it all shifts. What I'll say is remember to revere, obey, and show gratitude to them. And where you sense you have to go against a parent's directive, listen, seek Christian counsel from spiritual parents in the faith. Talk to your pastors and elders, if nothing else. I consider it such a joy and such a blessing from God, especially um, at this, in this season of our church and this season in my ministry, that I've got a couple of elders here who are not quite old enough, but almost old enough to be my dad. And so I seek them out all the time, all the time on stuff. If, if you pray, seek counsel, seek to show respect and thankfulness, 
and then you feel like you must follow God in a way that disobeys your parents' wishes, it'll grieve you. That's how you know that you're doing that in the right spirit. It will grieve you, but you gotta honor the Lord. Let me close this up with how we obey this command today, like how we walk out of here with a couple of things. Maybe some of that is, but how we walk out of here. Christians have always understood this command is not just about parents and children. It's about the spiritual family. I'm gonna get to that. Um, It's a template for any other relationship of authority we have in our lives. Let me start with the immediate family. Four words for the immediate family, and I'm speaking them. This is for children. Four words you can be saying to parents. Again, whether or not you are still in the home or not, it'll, it'll dictate maybe a little bit of application, but but I think it all still fits. Here's the first one. Yes, mom, or yes, dad, instead of, ugh. And I even put it on the screen so you can spell it as four H's or three H's in ugh, okay? This is a big one. I'm especially talking, of course, to children who are still in the home here, but it's reverence and obedience, right? That's training you so that one day when God, when you sense very clearly God's calling you towards something, when you see God's commands in scripture, God's commands aren't a burden because you've trained to see uh, your parents' commands on you, not as a burden. So yes, mom. Yes, dad. Here's the second one. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Gratitude. Listen, you're your letter there, maybe your assignment, if you're out of the home, you write that letter. Uh, it really doesn't matter what age you are. You can, whether it's writing that or whether it's just going, going and saying that, thank you, mom, or thank you, dad, because that's teaching you. That's, I'm telling you, a thankful heart is developed in response to others around them. And maybe that'll be the training that pulls you to look your eyes up finally and see what God has done. And it'll lead you deeper into the heart of God, into what he has done for you in the gospel. And you'll become a thankful worshiper of the one true God. The next one, I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's just be real on that. I'm sorry. Own your mistakes. Parents, train them in this. Own yours. And then extend forgiveness to one another. I have said this so many times for our church. We gotta be in the habit of gospeling one another, rehearsing the gospel over one another, which means I'm sorry I sinned against you here. I chose to do just what I desired. I see now that it hurt you. And then be able to say, I forgive you. That trains you for being able to repent of your sin before God receive the forgiveness that he offers you. Here's the last one. Hello. Hello. Stop by, pick up the phone, send a text, make a point to be there for holidays. You know, nothing a grandparent wants more in the world than all of their grandkids in the same room at one time. But start here, just start with never stop saying hello. It shows reverence, shows gratitude. Here's the last thing. Not these four words, but one more action step. Love the family of God. Some of you may be new to the idea of a spiritual family, but when Jesus talks about his followers, he talks about a spiritual family, about brothers and sisters. When the apostle Paul talks about the church, he talks about women who are to be spiritual mothers and men who are to be spiritual fathers to those younger in the faith. The church was really designed to be an extended family where the gospel shines really bright. Because what we do is we seek to be ambassadors of Christ to one another. In fact, God even wires us up differently. I think we all know that. He gives us different giftings. 
so that as we grow closer to him, we display different aspects of his character to one another. And together we learn more about God the Father, who he is. And the more you know about the people of God, the more you will come to celebrate the person of God. Some of you, I wanna challenge you today to get off the sidelines and be spiritual parents. Maybe you've been on the sidelines because that job sounds either too weighty of a responsibility or just honestly a little too weird. But if you think you have to be an owner, you're the sole one responsible for what they end up being, sure, that is weighty. But if you're an ambassador, you're revealing to them how God has worked in your life. That's why we're so big on the multi-generational church here. You need to know some people with gray hair. You need to know some people with no hair, all right? You need to see some people growing gray because of their kids. You need to know single people. You need to know married people. You need to know people in other situations and stages than you're in. You get the idea. But here's the big thing I'll say, y'all. What you see all throughout scripture is that God himself has come to redeem you so that you do not have to earn your way back to him, back to your father. So you honor mom and dad as a way of training for giving kavod, giving that worship to the one who has said, you don't have to prove yourself to me. I don't have expectations on you. I'm offering you grace, receive it, and you will flourish here and now in the land and spend eternity with me. Let me pray for you. God, I recognize that something so personal as mom and dad can stir up so much. So I ask for your grace on the application of this commandment into our lives. Would we be satisfied in Christ? Help us to be satisfied in Christ, I pray. Help us to see that our relationship with our heavenly Father is restored. That parents are a stand-in, but that you ultimately are the one that we're to give glory to. I pray for the children that have to walk out of here and pray through hard conversations, maybe repentance, maybe forgiveness as it relates to mom and dad. I pray for parents that gotta do the same. Help us, Father, to be the, the spiritual family, the, the church that loves one another well, serves one another with the love of Christ, that we may see, if nowhere else, we might see the glory of God through one another. We worship you for the grace you've given us in Christ. In his holy name we pray, amen.